Hello, I'm Donald Johannesson, and thanks for joining me on Speaking Out. He was Australia's first and only Aboriginal fighter pilot for the Royal Australian Air Force during World War II. Speaking Out pays tribute to the life of Leonard Waters, who started out in the military as a flight mechanic. But the final uh, test on the uh, flight mechanics course, you talk about mechanics today, of course I know that would realise that aircraft, you know, there's no space for mishaps there. Your final test on that was to dismantle uh, a Tiger Moth motor, blindfold it and assemble it again. That's Leonard Waters, coming up later in the program. But first, here's a song by Dave Arden, featuring Paul Kelly. This is a song that I wrote about the fighting Gundich Maras. It's called Freedom Calls, which featured Paul Kelly. My great-uncles were ordinary men. They fought in the First World War Left a wife and children When the army came to call They were sectioned at Gallipoli Stood on the Turkey shore All around so many young faces Some didn't come back at all When freedom called Those wounded men and women stood tall When freedom called Oh God, is there nothing left at all? When freedom came from Framlingham He fought in the Second World War A full-grown man but not citizen He couldn't vote under the law They sectioned him in Gundich Murray country On the Western District shore Drafted as an MP uphold the army's law When freedom called Those Gundich men and women stood tall When freedom called Oh God, is there nothing left at all When freedom called Sit there quiet, go drifting in their minds. It seemed to me they could see the spirits of the ones they left behind. They fought for more than just their homeland. 
They fought for respect To walk down a road Like any other man Lest we forget When freedom called Those Mara men and women stood tall When freedom called Oh God, is there nothing left at all? When freedom called Those good little men and women stood tall When freedom called Dave Arden with Paul Kelly with the song Freedom Called. War is not just about soldiers. It's also about the families they leave behind and come back to. Retrospect is a landmark online project exploring the impact of war through Australia's involvement in the Afghanistan conflict. Veterans and their families share their stories, giving voice to those who've experienced war on the front line and the effects at home. Head behind the headlines with this unique audio-visual experience. abc.net.au slash retrospect. You're listening to Speaking Out on ABC Local Radio, Digital Radio and Radio Australia. He is one of the National Rugby League's marquee players and has taken the North Queensland Cowboys to some inspirational wins in the past weeks. Jonathan Thurston was born on Anzac Day and it's only fitting that he embraces his new ambassador role with Camp Gallipoli. Camp Gallipoli is a national event with live entertainment, movies, documentaries, camping with swags on Anzac Day Eve and waking to dawn service. Jonathan Thurston explains more about Camp Gallipoli. Yeah, I suppose it's just raising awareness of uh, Camp Gallipoli so there's um, people will be able to uh, buy swags, um, go to these events in, in major cities. Um, there's seven cities, I think, Hobart, Adelaide, Brisbane, Melbourne, Sydney and Perth. But they can jump on the Camp Gallipoli website, which is www.campgallipoli.com.au and um, they can find out more information about that. But, uh, you know, there's going to be uh, live entertainment, um, you know, they'll be camping under the stars like the Diggers did 100 years ago. So it's a pretty big deal and I'm, you know, really proud to be an ambassador for, for the Camp Delivery. Uh Jonathan, does your family have a military history? Uh, yes, yeah. Uh, my grandfather's uh, brother, Uncle Ted, um, served in Vietnam. So, um, yeah, got a little bit of a history there in, in, in the military and I'm um, also uh, a bit further down the line as well. Um, had some light horsemen as well, my um, grandfather tells me. So, um, yeah, we had some family involved in that as well. Uh, going back to when you were a little boy, uh, what was your first memories of Anzac and also, uh, like you were saying, your family's military history and trying to embrace that as well? Yeah, it was always a big deal. Uh, I grew up on the south side of uh, Brisbane. Um, our primary school, the primary school I went to was uh, Cakes Ridge uh, Primary School, which um, always celebrated Anzac Day. We always had um, servicemen and women come in um, and also do uh, the last post as well, um, sing the national anthem. So my birthday's obviously on, on Anzac Day as well. But, um, you know, I always remember those days, you know, when I was at school, 
um, you know, the, the servicemen and women that would come to our school and, and uh, you know, talk to us about uh, what uh, Anzac Day means. And Anzac Day for your, your family as well. Uh, what does that mean? Yeah, like I said, um, you know, we've had uh, families serve in, in, in the wars, so, um, you know, I haven't been able to make any of the um, day-like uh, presentations and, and uh, services the dawn services, sorry. But, yeah, you know, I've got uh, two daughters now, so I'm hoping, um, you know, when they get a little bit older, uh, they'll start becoming a family tradition where we'll go to the dawn service. Yeah, to, be, yeah. You know, acknowledge, um, you know, the servicemen and women that, you know, paid the ultimate sacrifice for us. Yeah, because how, how important is that for you to pass that down to your daughters? Yeah, very, very. You know, we've got a, a bit of history in, in the military, so family history, so... Um, you know, I know my fiance is uh, very keen to to do that as well. So, um, you know, we live in Townsville, obviously, which is, has a big army base here, and a lot of servicemen and women that work here um, that are based here. So, you know, it's a very proud city uh, that has a a big history in 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 the military. Yeah, and do they come to the uh, Cowboys games as well? Yeah, we have a few. Um, we've also had um, actually some servicemen come and talk to us uh, before games as well. So um, yeah, you know the club's very uh, close to to the um, the RAF base that's that's here and um, the army base that's here. So uh, we've done some um, drills with them in the past where uh, they put us through their paces and the tests test a few of the boys out mentally and physically and. Uh, once you go through a few of those days where you do their training, the respect that you have for them uh, rises uh, so much more, knowing what they have put their bodies through, uh, both mentally and physically. Uh, Jonathan Thurston, I know you have a busy football uh, schedule as well, but uh, for Anzac Day this year, 2015, on the 100th anniversary, where will you be and what will you be doing? It's uh, a big day for the, for the NRL. Uh, they got five games back-to-back live on, on TV on Anzac Day and, and where the second game, the Cowboys playing Newcastle in, in Newcastle, um, which will be a massive uh, a massive day. Um, we've been given a briefing on, on what will be happening uh, that day uh, as we come onto the field and things like that. So I know the boys are, are looking forward to playing in, in that game and hopefully... Um, you know, that'll be a, a tradition that will start up now and, you know, to have five games back-to-back um, live, uh, you know, is a dream for, for the footy fans. And afterwards, you can have some birthday cake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right, mate. Hopefully uh, I can celebrate the birthday with, with a win and, um, like I said, you know, it's just about uh, remembering and, and acknowledging those those uh, servicemen and women that, that served this great country. Jonathan Thurston, thanks for your time and uh, congratulations on being an ambassador for Camp Gallipoli. No worries, thank you for having me. Ambassador for Camp Gallipoli, Jonathan Thurston. For more information, you can go to campgallipoli.com.au. The Speaking Out website is abc.net.au slash speaking out or just search for ABC Speaking Out. Marion Leanne Smith is a Darag woman from Sydney and was the first Aboriginal woman to serve as a nurse in both World War I and World War II. In 1917, Marion volunteered for World War I and became a staff nurse with the Queen Alexandra Imperial Military Nursing Service in England. 
Kerry Lee Harding was joined by Fiona Baverstock, co-creator of the Women of Empire exhibition, and this is Marion Leanne Smith's story. Well, I started researching for our exhibition Women of Empire, 1914-18. From 1916 onwards, we want to include some Canadian, South African and some Indian women. And so I started doing some preliminary research uh, for Canadian women and that's where I stumbled across Marion Smith was a reference to her as a Canadian nurse and that started me on the search. What were your first thoughts when you stumbled across such a remarkable woman? Of course, she didn't serve in the Australian Army, but uh, indeed served with other forces around the world. Yes, she did. And she was referred to on the first Canadian site I found her on as an Indigenous nurse. And I assumed at first that that was uh, Canadian First Nations. And it wasn't until I read a bit further, I thought, Oh my goodness me, she was actually of Australian Aboriginal heritage and uh, that set me tracking her down further. What do we know about this remarkable woman and where she comes from here in Australia? Well, we know that her grandmother was uh, a woman called Lucy Lean, originally Lucy Byrne. She was from the Holsworthy area um, outside of Sydney, the George's River area. And um, by her own words, she described herself as the last surviving native woman of the Cabrigal clan of the Darug people from the George's River area of New South Wales. And uh, Lucy Byrne married an Englishman, William Lean, And they had uh, a farm, I think it was at Williams Creek or somewhere like that. They had, I think, 13 children, all of whom seemed to do well. Uh, They had a farm, orchards, vineyards, and uh, she was very successful. Now, one of her children was Marion Lean Smith's mother, and she also married... Um, an Englishman, another Englishman, and um, they went to live in Canada and took Marion uh, with them when she was uh, young. And uh, that's how she came to be in Canada. So we have Marion, the Aboriginal girl from Sydney, Australia, who ends up over in Canada, studies nursing, of course. And yes. where does this then take her? Well, she actually studied nursing in America because I suppose the border was still a bit fluid then between Canada and America. Then she nursed in Montreal. In March 1917, she then decided to go to war, and she joined the Queen Alexandra's Imperial Nursing Service um, in March 1917. And that took her overseas to France, where she served on ambulance trains um, to Italy and latterly to one of the big war hospitals in uh, the south of England. 
So she served until the middle of 1919 before returning to Canada. Uh, her husband was a Mr. Walls. She became Marion Walls then. And she moved to Trinidad with her husband. Um, he ran a missionary school there. I also understand that it was Trinidad that Marion Smith helped bring the Red Cross to. That's right. Uh, according to my information, she... Uh, helped bring the Red Cross to Trinidad uh, and served during World War II as Red Cross Commandant. And she was awarded the DSM, the Distinguished Service Medal, for that service. So not just in one war, but in two she served. So I'm sure her grandmother, Lucy Lean, would have been inordinately proud of her granddaughter. And of course you're featuring Marion Smith amongst other fabulous women who have served in past wars including the Boer War, World War One, and World War Two. Can you tell us about how Marion Smith fits into this exhibition? This particular exhibition concentrates on World War One, and uh, the women who did stuff so to speak so nurses officially enlisted nurses who were enlisted in the Australian Army Nursing Service, the New Zealand Army Nursing Service, and the Queen Alexandra. Uh, we've actually got a Turkish nurse in it and a German nurse because, of course, they serve just on the opposite side. And how is Marion Smith represented in this exhibition? I also understand that this remarkable woman was Australia's first Indigenous nurse to serve in any world war. As far as we can tell, from the research I've done, and from the information from uh, one of her descendants, we believe that she was the first, probably the only Indigenous nurse in World War One, and probably the first to serve, because I, I don't believe any Indigenous nurses would have served in the Boer War, which was the first war before that time, I think, that um, nurses went to. We've represented her in this exhibition in her Queen Alexandra's nursing service um, outfit. Uh, the nursing service reserve because um, the ones who signed up just for the war years um, wore a slightly different cape. That was the only difference. Um, the, the ones already enlisted, the full-timers, wore the red cape like the Australian nurses um, and the reservists like Marion wore a grey cape with red trim. So we've got her dressed in that with her um, QA uh, badge on and uh, she looks absolutely splendid. Too clean to have been um, walking through muck and mud and gore, but uh, there mm. you go. <laughs> Are there many of these uniforms left uh, around the world? No, there aren't. This one is a faithfully produced replica because they're just so rare that you uh, just can't get hold of them. Um, when we take the exhibition to New Zealand, we're going to the National Army Museum there and they do have one uh, Queen Alexandra's nurse's uniform there that they've managed to acquire. So we'll be able to use that there. But um, they are just very, very rare and often even 
like the Imperial War Museum and so forth, have only bits of uniforms, not the complete thing. What a remarkable story and a remarkable woman. And from your observation as the curator of this exhibition, how would you say that Marion Smith does compare to some of the other women who've served in previous wars in the exhibition? Look, they were all remarkable women. It is amazing what they did. But she's one of the ones who served in some capacity in two wars, which is amazing, and um, was prominent in uh, bringing the Red Cross to uh, somewhere that that hadn't had it. The fact that um, she, on the other side of the world, she trained as a nurse and uh, went to war. And nursing on an ambulance train, that wasn't an easy thing to do, if you think about it. They were transporting the the wounded men from the battlefield back to hospitals and uh, having to treat them while the train was moving, being shelled and shot at. Just amazing things she and her compatriots did. That was Fiona Bavistock, co-creator of The Women of Empire with Speaking Out's Kerry Lee Harding. And for more information, you can go to womenofempire.com. Speaking Out. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube and SoundCloud. As we head into Anzac Day commemorations, Speaking Out will over the next few weeks pay tribute to a man who served his country and returned to a life of hardship and racism. He was Australia's first and only Aboriginal fighter pilot for the Royal Australian Air Force during World War II. Leonard Waters started out in the military as a flight mechanic. Dr Bob Hall wrote The Black Diggers, Aborigines and Torres Strait Islanders in the Second World War. On September 1, 1986, Dr Hall met Leonard Waters in his Brisbane home. This is the first part of Leonard Waters' story. Well, I was uh, born at Pumai and uh, reared on Yarraba and Tumalai stations, uh, mission stations. Then uh, in the 30s, in the early 30s, we moved to Queensland and uh, I... uh, continuing my education there at uh, Nindigali up to the standard of, of scholarship. I didn't actually pass scholarship, but I, there was no worries about that. I would have if I had continued. Right. But uh, being a little bit old for my age, I think I realised that uh, you know, it was semi-depression days in those days, and uh, it was a bit of a drag on Dad, like, to keep the family unit going. And... Uh, he was uh, doing contract work and bush work in those days, and uh, I decided that I'd do my bit to to uh, help him look after the family, and I went to work for him. Right. I might I might add it was a dollar a week, and of that dollar a week, I used to pay five five bob for board. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm telling you what things, things are <laughs> people good. reckon me they, they got it tough today. Yeah. 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 And that was seven days a week I worked for that Wasn't too, right. because on, uh, for the six days. Uh, everyone worked six days, daylight till dark, no 40 hours or anything like that. And then on Sundays, the other, no one went to town. On the Sundays, the, the other workers would all be uh, sharpening their tools, ring bark for ring barking, that sort of thing. And me being the educator, the bright, bright one, educated one, Dad and I used to have to go and measure up the amount of work that was done through the week. Right. So that, and I used to have to make up their wages and everything like that. So. I worked seven days a week for my ten bob. Right, so you did that on the time when the other people were having their day off. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 
Right, and uh, uh, when was that? What period was that? That was from about 1937 up to uh, uh, 38 to 39, and I went into the shearing sheds then and, and uh, did shed work. Right. And that was real good money, two pounds six and eightpence a week. Right, doesn't sound so, much like today. It's nice <laughs> money, doesn't it? <laughs> £2.6 and 8 uh, uh, I was always pretty thrifty. I got myself together a good wardrobe and everything like that and, you know, looked after me. I didn't drink. A couple of my brothers did, but I didn't. Didn't drink or smoke. And uh, right. I was just... Then when the war broke out in '39, I was... I couldn't get into it quick enough. As a matter right. of fact, I tried to enlist before I'd turned 17. And what um, was that? Did you enlist in the, attempt to enlist in the RAF? Or was yes, in the Grand Staff. Mm. But, uh, and what had made you want to enlist in the RAF? Oh, I'd, I'd always had, uh, you know, I, Kingsford Smith and Amy Johnson and those sort of right. things. I followed all those things. And right. I, I was, my, Just all, always had an interest in flying. I was always in the clouds, yes, mm. always. Mm. Yeah. So when I, you uh, made that first attempt and you were turned down then, were you? Yes, no, I was too young. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Right. And uh, then eventually in August... 1942. I, uh, I I wrote into enlist, and in the meantime, they sent they had those uh, mobile units going around to uh, for uh, compulsory service, right. and they came to St George, and uh, we all had to have our medicals there, and uh, we all passed them. Even my father, he was 48 year old at the time, and he went up. Did he? Yeah. Right. And we all, he was past as fit as we were, which he was too. Mm. And uh, anyway, during the next week, I got my call from the raft. Right. Mm. So I enlisted straight off in the raft. I didn't serve any. See, that was more or less just for army service, that, right. that mm. compulsory uh, me medical. Mm. And uh, we came down, well, we all came down together. My brother came down, and uh, he got his call up at the same time mm. for the militia. And. Uh, we got to the exhibition ground, and uh, he went. I went into one door here, and he went into another door there, and that's the first time, last time we saw each other until uh, we were at uh, Moratai in 1944, and we just finished a, a pretty heavy bash that day. And uh, our doctor, incidentally, was was the, used to make all our jungle juice up, our, our refreshments, and that's something. Yeah. And uh, he uh, used to make a butte brew, mm -hmm. and we're all sitting around this in the uh, officers, the pilots' mess, right. and we're all sitting around in the, in the sawdust, just squatted down there with a bucket of this jungle juice in front of us, and we're all having a sip. And uh, all of a sudden, Jim, the brother, was standing in the doorway of the tent. Ah. And, is, uh, is that Jim or Donald? Oh uh, well, Donald, but Jim's Jim's he's, he's, he's he was never ever known as Donald. Well, he, he, uh, yeah. he was christened Donald, Donald Edward, but oh, right. uh, it was right. always Jim. Right. And you know, it, uh, of course, he was made welcome by everyone in the mm. uh, there, like uh, come in. Yeah, and, but that was and, uh, and uh, nice, a nice. Uh, oh, meeting. fantastic surprise! Mm. Like an hour, been apart for about nearly three years. Mm. And uh, any anyway, rate. Uh, they were on their way to uh, Tarakan at the time, that's when the bash for Tarakan was on. Uh, well, we had an idea that uh, they didn't know where they were going, but mm. our uh, upper echelon of officers, like they, they had an idea because there had been quite a bit of softening up uh, right. over on Tarakan by the um, 
the liberators, the heavy bombers that the Australians had, and the Yanks, they were coming down from the Philippines and bombing Borneo. Mm -hmm. Anyhow, uh, uh, Jim said, uh, there's a big bash on. He said, I don't know where we're going. I said, I've got a pretty fair idea where you are going. I can ask it because uh, we were told uh, shortly afterwards that uh, they, uh, they were going to give us six days for the 9th Divi to take the beachhead Hmm. And the strip was right alongside of the beachhead, and they said that they'd be able, we'd be going in to give them close support for me to take the rest of the island. Oh. Well, what they didn't know, they relied on Japanese intelligence. And uh, when they got to that, Jap intelligence, uh, not Japanese, uh, Dutch, uh, Dutch intelligence at least, because Tarragon was, was Dutch, born hmm. And uh, they said that there was only about 7,000 of the Japanese army, regular army, on the island. And uh, it would have been easy to take. Well, as it turned out, they only sent about 6,000 Australians in. And uh, when they got there, they found out there were 12,000 Japanese Marines in the middle of the island. Mm. They were the big six footers, the, the, yeah. the elite of the Japanese army. Mm. Well, it was six weeks afterwards that we got in. Dr. Bob Hall speaking to Australia's first and only Aboriginal fighter pilot for the Royal Australian Air Force during World War II, Leonard Waters. Our thanks to Dr. Bob Hall and Len's wife Gladys. Next week, part two of the Leonard Waters story. That's it for another week. You can find individual interviews at soundcloud.com slash ABC Speaking Out or like us at facebook.com forward slash ABC Speaking Out or check out our YouTube page for the latest videos. I'm Donald Johannesson and this has been Speaking Out on ABC Local Radio, Digital Radio and Radio Australia. Mm -hmm.